welcome to Rewind Design, a cottage history podcast and blog. My name is Katie McNabb and I'm a registered interior designer here in cottage country. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. Thank you so much for clicking the link. I'm so excited to have you here. So you've landed in season two of the Rewind Design podcast. Season one was a lot more about the history of Georgian Bay and Muskoka cottage country area. I have interviewed some really cool cottagers about their very specific stories of how they ended up in cottage country. If you want to check those out, I have some really, really good episodes. One including a Georgian Bay Island cottage that may have, um, I don't want to give too much away, but it may have been used as a, um, I don't know how to say this nicely, a The island has been named colloquially as Action Island, so, you know, wasn't just the island that was getting a lot of action, but yes, if you want to check that one out, that is Sadie on Action Island. It's one of my favorites, but I have lots of, lots of serendipitous stories um, on the blog and the podcast if you want to go back to season one. So in this week's bonus episode, I have a really exciting cottage story to share. So I actually had the pleasure of meeting with Julian Labordet, his daughter Lisa, and his son-in-law Matthew. As far as his cottage history goes, Julian is a multi-generational cottager spanning back to the late 1800s. So it really all started when his grandparents were pioneers in Go Home Bay, landing in 1899 and building a large wraparound cottage that dates back to the early 1900s, which is actually still owned by one of Julian's cousins. In 1942, just before Julian was born, his parents took a serendipitous canoe trip from Go Home Bay, 40 kilometers north to San Susi, where they camped on an island they later named Lulette. They named the island after a small village on the St. Lawrence River where Julian's father's parents were born. Lilette was a seven-acre rocky island with magnificent windswept pine trees. The west side of the island was exposed to the open water of Georgian Bay, so the sunsets were breathtaking. In July 1944, at three months old, baby Julian arrived on the steamboat Midland City with his mother at San Susi. His father rode a small boat over a kilometer to the community dock to pick them up. He was in the process of building a one-bedroom cottage. For many reasons, the family sold the island in 1987, and Julian's daughter, Lisa, aged 16 at the time, vowed to buy back the island one day. After 35 years away from Georgian Bay, Julian thought he may never be back. Then out of the blue, in December 2020, just before Christmas, Julian and his wife were invited to a Zoom call with his daughter, Lisa. To mark his 75th birthday, Lisa told Julian they would like to name some part of their future island after him. Suddenly, on the Zoom call, Julian's 11-year-old grandson held up a wooden sign reading, Grandpa's Grove. Julian was somewhat confused. What did this sign mean? Could it mean what he thought it did? Then Lisa dropped the bombshell. She showed a slide presentation of a Georgian Bay Island she announced they had just bought. Julian would be spending his summers in Georgian Bay once again. Isabel Island is a rugged island in a chain of islands in San Susi, with a main cottage, several guest cabins, and a covered boat slip. From the main cottage, still original, you can see 360-degree views from the kitchen to the water surrounding it. The cottage is rustic, with wood paneling and classic windows that flip up and allow for the Georgian Bay West Wind to flow through. The island has a system of boardwalks linking the buildings together. The structures are all defined by their light blue metal roofs that blend into the sky, unimposing on the rocky shore. 
So in this really exciting episode, we discover Julian's journey to rediscovering Georgian Bay after 35 years removed. He is now known in the community as the local historian, writing articles for the San Susi Copperhead Association. So we really love to see his updates pop up online with a little snippet from the past. Before his retirement, he had a wonderful career as a photojournalist, photographing sports, celebrities, and even royalty. He freelanced for the Toronto Star, then the United Press International to the United Press Canada. While I was visiting with Julian at their island property, I actually took a ton of drone photos, which are linked on the blog portion of this post. So that would be at www.rewinddesign.ca if you look for Julian on Isabel Island then you'll be able to see all the drone photos I took of this incredible property. And fun fact, I actually just won honorable mention with the Cottage Life photo contest for one of the drone photos I took for this property. So that's pretty incredible. So if you want to check that out, that's on my website. Again, that's www.rewinddesign.ca. And I just wanted to say thank you so much to Julian and his family for allowing us to share his story. So we're just going to jump right into the story. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. We're sitting in um, Julian's daughter and son-in-law's cottage right now on Isabel Island near San Susi. And we're just going to start off here with Julian's history. Uh, my name is Julian Laborde, and I live currently in Ajax near Toronto, and I've lived all my life in that general area. My history with Georgian Bay and my family goes back to 1899, when my great-grandparents, uh, Bella and Fred McCurdy, built a cottage at Gohome Bay. And Fred McCurdy was a professor of Oriental, as they called him in those days, languages at University of Toronto. And a number of people from the U of T came up to Gohome Bay, which in those days was pretty remote and staked out everybody on an island or a part of an island or whatever. And they, they built their cottages and they created that community. That community is still there to this day. They called it the Madawaska Club. So that was, especially back in those days, that was a long way to go. You would take the train up to Penetang and then a steamer would take you up to up to Gohome Bay. So that was very remote compared to today. So my, uh, as I said, um, uh, great-grandparents, yeah, great-grandparents uh, built that cottage. And then eventually went to my grandmother, whose name, her married name was Erickson Brown. She was married to Frank Erickson Brown. And she had four children, one of whom was my mother. My mother did not inherit the cottage because she, in 1942, with my father, went on a canoe trip from Goho and came north to San Susi, about 25 miles or so up the coast, and discovered an island that they loved. And they camped on it, and it was a perfect island, and it was called Ricketts Island, terrible name. But <laughs> they liked it, and they sort of said, gee, I wonder if anybody, somebody must own it, you know. So they went and found out that some woman owned it who had lived in Florida or somewhere, hadn't been near it years and years and years, just paid the taxes on it. And they contacted her, and she said, well, uh, I guess I should sell it. I haven't been here in a long time, and she wanted $25 or something. Anyway, whatever it was, it was very little. So they bought this island in 1942. Uh, intended to build a cottage. And then two years later, 1944, the year I was born, in July of 1944, the Midland City, which was a steamer that ran from Penetang up to Perry Sound and back down again, it stopped at all the, the uh, cottage communities and dropped off supplies and people and mail and all that sort of thing. It was the only way to get around. People didn't have their own boats that would go very very fast in those days. Anyway, the Midland City stopped at the 
in those days, it was a government dock at San Susi. It's now a dock that belongs to the San Susi and Copperhead Association. Anyway, stopped there. My mother got off in July of 1944 carrying me, and I was three months old. Oh, my gosh. My dad at the time was on the island that they, they bought, and he was in the process, with the help of my older brother, who was a teenager, of building a one-room cottage. And he rowed over in a rowboat. He rowed over to pick up his wife, baby, and whatever supplies they brought with them, went back to the island where they set up a tent because the cottage wasn't built, built yet, wasn't finished yet, completed the cottage, and that's where it started. And so I have come to Georgian Bay. So um, from that time on, I grew up at, a, at an island. Now, my parents hated the name Ricketts Island. I mean, yeah. So they went through, it took a long thing with the federal government to get it changed to Lilette, L-apostrophe I-S-L-E-T. And that is a name of a little community in Quebec where my, my father's uh, family came from originally. Okay. So anyway, it has that name to this, to this day. It took them a while to get it changed. And so I went there. I spent every summer there. I figured that I had good times and good memories, went on to different things, got married, had a daughter, did various things. And then fast forward about 35 years, uh, Lisa had come up to the cottage with me every year until she was 16. Mm-hmm. And so she loved the place as much as I did. And in the back of her mind, she always had this idea that she liked to get an island or something. And then she married, moved to the States, had several kids, started a business, all that sort of thing. She and her husband, Matt, were kind of looking at properties and there weren't that many available and they were basically open to look at anywhere in Georgian Bay. So it could have been 50 miles from here, north or south or whatever. And they were looking around. And um, then COVID came along, and that sort of slowed things up a little bit. And then Christmas before last, I didn't go down. I sometimes go down to where they live for Christmas. I didn't go because of COVID. And they, they, we hooked up a Zoom cast. They presented a PowerPoint presentation that showed me that they bought this island at Georgian Bay. And I was, uh, I mean, I didn't really know they were looking. I had no idea. They had not said we're, we're coming close to this anything. I knew they were sort of vaguely looking at who buys the place in the winter anyway. So I was blown away as much as you could be. So it turned out to be uh, less than a mile away from Lillette. Okay. And um, by absolute total coincidence, I called Isabel Island. My mother's name was Isabel. So that, that part is absolute coincidence. So I had this 35-year gap. And as I said to people, I was last year I was back, you know, after 35 years. So when I came back, um, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm able to be up here quite a bit, and I, I'm sort of regarded by them as the unofficial caretaker. And so I got involved in writing things for the San Jose Copyright Association. I put a thing out on Facebook, a little story, not about us necessarily, but about things in the area, about shipwrecks, about this, about that, um, and a couple of personal things that people seem to enjoy. So around here... Um, People said, they know my name more than they know me by sight because they haven't met me, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So anyway, that's, I've got involved fairly quickly. In fact, this, there's a thing that we're, there's a group of, of stewards to kind of Pomeroy Island and also some other islands around here that are in public domain. There's a group of, of people in the association that will sort of get together. And we don't have any authority. We go there and kind of pick up garbage, maybe speak to people who are camping and kind of encourage them to... You know, to, to, to not leave litter and, and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and also we keep track of, uh, we make notes about uh, some of the wildlife because sometimes there are, there are species coming in that are not indigenous and they can be a danger to what's there. So it's a thing I've become. So I tended to jump into these things and join them and uh, have enjoyed every minute of it. And that's how we were, we were put in touch by uh, Kersey Henry from the uh, 
Cottagers Association. So mm. that's that's my my story in a, in a nutshell, basically. And mm. so I've had a long time on on Georgian Bay, uh, with a gap of thirty five years in the middle. And of course, I never wildest imagination thought that uh, this would happen. And then, you know, so here we are. Oh my goodness. Uh, Oh my god. Well, I haven't, I haven't told that story without breaking down ever. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of these days. It's there's something different than uh, most other places I think that people that you're describing. Many of whom there are a lot of people here who are like I am in a sense. Um uh I guess I'm fifth generation and my my or fourth and, and your fifth and my grandchildren are, are sixth generation. And some of them have been six generations right in the same area. But, you know, some of the older cottages that go back to the 1900 and that sort of thing. But they keep coming back, even if they moved away and they live much farther away than I do, mm-hmm. way down in the States or whatever. They still do it. And it's in their blood. And it's it's a different thing than just sort of a, a – for us, it's a different thing than a cottage in Muskoka. Yes. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of place that we want – is it different? Yeah, it's more remote. It's more rustic living. I think there's a more um, more appreciation of nature there in is. this area. Yeah. And the interesting thing is people have said to me, do I miss Lilette? Do I wish we were Lilette? Uh, no. I went there and walked around a couple of times. The, the woman who owns it now is a very nice person. Sure, her parents bought it originally. And I don't because it's the way I look at it. That was then. This is now. Mm-hmm. This island has some advantages. Um, that Lillette didn't have. Of course, in those days, there, were, there was no hydro, no electricity on the island of Lillette. There probably is now. And, of course, there weren't cell phones. And, you know, we had propane stove, propane fridge, that sort of thing. But from the point of view, as I get a bit older, uh, security and, and, and access and, and being able to be in touch with people and communication, that sort of thing, this island has... Um, uh, some real advantages, plus more buildings, things like that. So I don't look at it as as, as in any way secondary. It's, it's different. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. yeah, just like historically, that's where you... Sorry, that's right. And I, I separate the two. I don't go by and drive around the island every time I look at it, wishful thinking. I mean, I don't do that at all. It's a different thing, and that, that's the way I look at it. My father built in, in 42 with the help of... I had an older brother who was, who was 11, 12 years older than I am. So he was you know, a teenager. And he had actually had a cousin of his help. My dad did most of it. It was a one-room little building with a bit of a porch. And my father had no experience building things particularly. When they bought it, it was allegedly – it wasn't prefab. It was allegedly pre-cut, which meant theoretically all the boards were already cut. Well, that turned out not to be. He got piles of lumber. So he worked at it, and the building is still there. Now, uh, subsequently, maybe 10 years later, um, an addition was put on. Um, a, a, a small kitchen and a bedroom and a little bit of a bathroom, but there still wasn't running water. There was a kitchen that had a sink, so you could boil water on the stove, and, then, and there was a propane stove and a propane refrigerator. But we still, you still brought, brought water from the lake in a bucket, and in those days you could drink it. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until later again, maybe into the 60s, that my mother had it modernized a bit and uh, a, a pump put in. Um, and some propane heaters and a few other things like that. But that was as big as the cottage got. And then she also had a boathouse built down near the dock. The uh, the other thing about Lillette was because of its remote location and because of the shallow, it's very shallow on one side of it. When the waves come in, they, they roll around the island and they increase in size. So over the years, we had docks that just dis- disappeared completely. Boats that disappeared. 
um, all kinds of things. And the people who own it now have a very large break wall, a great big thing with a lot of rock and everything to hold it. it I guess it, they realize the same thing was happening. So I don't miss that part, yeah. you know, that, that this island here, the wind can blow, but it doesn't, it isn't that kind of, you know, it could lock, docks aren't going to go out and boats aren't going to be drifting away. So it was a bit remote, which was, which was exciting at times, but um, especially as I'm older, I'm quite happy to be here. And then what would you say on Lulette? What were some activities and things that you did as children that you really like remember that are ingrained in your... In well, your we, two things. We got to know kids on other islands. There was a nearby island that had four kids that were more or less around the age. And I have a sister. I had a sister a couple of years younger. So we played with them, went to swim and all that sort of thing over a long period of time. And then we played with toy boats. We, we, um, we, we were very self-sufficient. And in many ways, compared to what kids do today, in a sense, we had very little, but we had enough. We, had, so we, we enjoyed making little toy boats out of pieces of lumber, you know. And you're probably well, more creative. Yes, whether anybody does that anymore, I doubt. But I mean, I could have a, you know, you cut it and put nails in it. And, that, and I mean, nobody would have said, well, gee, that's all you've got. You're somehow hard done by because you had to make your own boat. Uh, we had all kinds of those things. And, and there was a frog pond there that was good to, because the boats wouldn't blow, drift away or anything. And Lisa remembers that as well. So it was a, it was a different time and uh, not better or worse necessarily. And of course, to comment on today, um, None of us had uh, phones we were looking at all the time. There was no electronic stuff at all. So we tended to sort of, it was more of an outdoor life in a way, and we tended to kind of come up with our own things that interested us. And mm. we'd, we'd swim a lot and go fishing and things like that. So I regarded that, still do, as as very complete summers. You know, nothing was missing. Now, would you I wish we had this? Or wish, I, I mean, compared to today, in some ways, we had a slower boat, that sort of thing. Although my mother who was quite an individualist in the early 50s, bought a, uh, a, a boat. It was a 16-foot boat with a 25-horsepower engine on it. And that was uh, everybody at the time. Wow. wow. Like, you think she was a racing This was a woman driving this thing. You think it was a racing boat or something. And uh, that was a big engine. And you pull it yourself, you know. And so she had – we had a couple of boats like that, that, that sort of era – and at this time, where would you be storing those boats? Like, where would you be coming from? Oh, always from Parry Sound, or or we would, uh, it would, yeah, we'd come down from Parry Sound. We always did. Some of the boats we might have stored at the Welsh Brothers, which was the marinas. It, it's uh, not the Blancs. Oh, okay, it's quite close to here. Yep. But the the bigger boat, we'd go back and forth, and we'd leave it in Parry Sound. So when we come, we drive down to the cottage, and at the end of the, end of the season, leave it up there. Yeah. And then you would keep it at a marina in Paris. Yes, Sound. yeah, absolutely. We always went through Paris Sound. Because um, what would your alternative be? Well, there, there's a marina that's down in Moon River. Yeah. Um, it's farther to go, and also there isn't a town there. So I, I haven't been there in a long time. Just maybe a couple of stores, but at least when you go into it's the same now. If you go to Paris Sound, not only can you leave your boat there, but there's a whole town. You know, you live there. Yeah. So when you want to do groceries, you want to do this or that, or, or go to a hardware store or something. It's all there. So. So we, we do that. And then just speaking to your grandparents' history, you said that they named the island after a town on the St. Lawrence River. Were they living there for a long time generationally or like did they come from my, their Well, my, family, my parents did that. My, fa- my father, uh, his, he was born in British Columbia. He never lived in Quebec in his life. But everybody before him, he was um, eighth generation Canadian. So the seven before him 
all lived in Quebec and didn't move more than a short distance. But his, uh, it's interesting because his parents, my grandparents, uh, he was French and she was Irish, and they moved from Quebec out to the interior of British Columbia. Now, this was in the 1880s. My father was older than you would think he would be. He was 57 when I was born. He was born in 1887. So when they moved out, when his parents moved out before he was born to the middle of British Columbia, that was a very remote area in Clinton, B.C., on the Caribou Trail, Caribou Road, and they, they ran a post office, a telegraph office, because that was the only means of communication. So nobody within 1,000 miles spoke French. And nobody in those days was thinking of a heritage language or any reason to preserve it. So they moved out there speaking French. None of their kids grew up speaking French. And none of them ever lived in Quebec. They moved around and went here and there. And my dad uh, moved around a little bit, never lived in Quebec in his life. So that was sort of lost, but he still regarded that as part of his heritage. I'm named after the first, the first Laborde in Canada in the 1700s, was, his first name was Julian. Okay, Spelled wow. the, the, the French the way. The French way with the E. E-N, yes. Yeah. And uh, there, wasn't, there hasn't been one since with the same uh, first name. So it's very unusual. There are not a lot of Labordes at all, and I'm not aware. I got a, I, I got a, uh, a thing from a guy in uh, France who happens to have stumbled in it, who has the same name, but I mean, you know, related at some point way back when, but yeah. it's a very unusual name. Anyway. I don't think I've heard it before, no, to, be, no. to be honest. And do you, do you speak any French? No, I grew up in, I <laughs> was born in Toronto, grew up in, in Ontario. Yeah. And don't speak French at all. And did you, so you spent your whole life mainly living in Ontario then? Yes. So oh, yes. now you live in Ajax. Which is just east of Toronto, yeah, so it's not far. But where did you, did you grow up in that area too? No, I grew, I grew up, and we grew up in Rosedale and sort oh, of central, okay. central Toronto. Yep. And then when I was married, went to, uh, lived in Etobicoke and Mississauga at various places. Yeah. And then my, my wife, Anna, and I bought a place in Ajax, uh, uh, in uh, 2006. I was a photographer for most of my life, uh, most of it as a photojournalist. So I, I did uh, uh, photography for, for wire services, supplying photographs to newspapers. So I photographed sports, celebrities, um, royalty, elections, traveled with them, all those sorts of things for quite a few years. And were you working for mainly one newspaper or were you kind of freelancing? Uh, well, I started out freelancing with the Toronto Star and then I was involved with United Press International and then United Press Canada, and then I was a Canadian press a bit after that as, as, a, as a photo editor. Okay, so this is why you're so good at all of your articles. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, would, I, I wasn't actually a writer per se um, in those jobs, but I still used, you needed to be literate, and, yes. and my parents were writers, uh, both of them. And uh, yeah, so I enjoy doing that, and then I, I put up photographs as well. And then, so just, just to wrap up... Um, Lilette, just a little bit. Was there only ever that one, one building, or did you build more? No, the the cottage is still there. the The people who bought it reasonably quickly, I guess, they they built a brand new cottage farther out on the on the shore. But they've left that which, one. Yes, which has a nice view. It's funny because when my when my parents built the cottage, which is kind of in the not in the middle of the island, but it's in a sheltered flat spot. The, the local people said, oh, you, you can't build out here. It'll blow away and all this sort of stuff, which, of course, didn't happen. It's ridiculous. And the people, the cottages there now yeah. is way out sticking out. And it isn't blown away either, but it has a terrific view of the open water. Yeah, because now they build, Now you can build very that's sturdy. Right. So, you can bring more building that's material right. out. And they've, they've kept the old cottage. Um, I walked through it one time a couple of years ago. And um, just, I guess, for extra... Uh, I knew somebody who slept in extra bedrooms, things like that. Right. Why, why tear it down? You know? Yeah. 
No, and I respect that they've left it. That's I would I would hope they'd leave it. Um, and then just like the actual footprint of the building was like a square. Like I'm guessing the original was building standard. was slightly rectangular. Um, I don't know the like the material or oh, it was just sort of whatever lumber. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just two by fours and siding. Yeah. You know, and then that's right, just a straight roof yeah. like that. It was pretty simple. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as simple as you could get. And in those days, the windows, when you look at really old cottages, they often don't, they often have small windows. It didn't occur to people that big windows. And so this, I don't know when they were tiny, but I mean, they weren't like, they weren't like this. Yeah. Just ordinary type windows. Um, well, they were probably expensive, hard to get out yeah. here, and people just spent time outside. <laughs> so to, to backtrack a little bit, the, the first cottage that was built at Golden Bay, mm-hmm. in which is still there. It's still there. It's old, and, and it, it, it belongs to uh, to a cousin of mine. It was the it was the original style. It was a two story building with a porch that went all the way around, whatever that style's called. Okay. So there were like four bedrooms upstairs. It was more or less square, I suppose. Porch went all the way around, and then there was a, there was a sort of a living room, a dining room. Well, there wasn't a dining room. No, it was it was a living room basically. Um, the dining room was a separate. They had a separate building to for a kitchen. And to people to eat, and they had several other small buildings people slept in, that sort of thing, because they had large numbers of people. And back in those days, they would have had uh, a cook and maybe a maid or somebody. It was a different era altogether. Yeah. And that building, that cottage is still there. As I said, it's hundred, you know, fourteen years old or something. So I mean, it's twenty years, no, hundred twenty some odd years old. Yeah. So it's been around a while. That's amazing. I've never actually spent much time in Go Home Bay, if any at all. Like, I feel like when you have a cottage, let's say in San Susi, you just want to be there, you know? And it's mm-hmm. it's funny because you're so tied to that area that you've always been because you just want to be there. So my boyfriend and I will do canoeing trips. We'll go up to Point of Barrel and Brit and um, like Key River and things like that. But we haven't been south yet. Mm. So maybe that needs to be our next. Well, when I was growing up, we would... Uh we would periodically take our boat and go down to go home just for the day. Oh, okay. Because my, my grandparents were there and then other other family members, particularly when I was young and my grandparents were still alive, they were there. Yeah. And maybe my aunt who was running the place. But they, so we'd go to visit them basically and very seldom stayed over. We'd just go down and have lunch or somebody come back. You know, it was a good day like this. We'd sit down and get there in an hour and come back. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we haven't done that since we, since we came back last year. Um, but we did that uh, a number of times. Every year we do it once or twice. I'd have to really study the charts before I did that. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> I'm not sure that direction very well. But um... Just to pop in here for a quick second, I just wanted to explain the voice you're going to hear next is Lisa, who is Julian's daughter, who is a generational cottager herself, spending lots of time in Georgian Bay. She is about to describe the original architecture and cottage on Lilette, which was Julian's parents' island, not the island that they currently vacation on. The original cottage that was built on Lilette was the initial one room, and then they built on after it. And there was a kitchen and then a bedroom outside of it. And my grandmother intentionally had windows put in between the kitchen and the bedroom so that you could always have that light coming through the cottage. So if you needed privacy, you could certainly draw the curtains if you wanted, but she intentionally said, I don't want to close things off. I want to always be able to have the view of the bay 
And so she intentionally built windows on that interior wall that went right through. Oh, okay. So there'd be kind of light from all four sides then yeah. coming yeah. into the area through the kitchen or through the through bedrooms. The, at, at first, people would were say, they well, high? That's... Were they like high windows? Or were no, they it, just it, right Literally, here? if you were at the kitchen table right here, the window yeah. started here and went right to the ceiling. Oh, okay. So if you were in the bedroom and the, ki- the curtains weren't drawn, <laughs> yeah. you absolutely saw who okay. was in there. But um, I just always sort of appreciated that little, little design touch that she wanted to do to make sure that you always had views of, of of the bay from wherever you were. Is there anything else you can comment on like of that building of like how it like how it felt like the interior you know like Well I mean it, it, it was all I was used to. It, it was comfortable uh, I think I, I don't think. Uh, now I, I slept very little in that in that particular building. So you were on a tent platform, right? Yes. We, uh, in the early days, there was a tent platform. That's right. And I slept in a tent. It was a you know, good time with straight sides. And, and you could put cots in it and everything. It was okay. a tent. That's nice. For um, most of the time, because my sister would be in the bedroom area. And then later on, when I was an adult, and Lisa was coming was coming up, uh, she'd be in the bedroom. And uh, I had, there were a couple of beds in the, in the boathouse. Because the boathouse was really... My mother bought, it, it was put up, it was basically a garage. It was made as a garage with a big door on one side. And so we stored boats in it. But when the boats weren't there, there was lots of space. Mm. So in one corner, you put up a shelf and got a couple of beds. And I was quite comfortable doing that. Mm. So that worked That worked fairly well. And it was down near the water. So. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. And you maybe get a nice breeze in there, which is key. And so yeah. when I was a child, my father was, as you mentioned, sleeping in the boathouse. And I would go down every morning with a cup of coffee to wake him up. And of course I was killing all the cobwebs. It was across the path on my way there. And then when it was time for breakfast, I had this little brass bell and I don't even know where it came from, but it's, it's a little monkey sitting on a bell and I would go and ring this bell, which was the signal that it was time to come for breakfast. And, and now, now I'm going to cry. When I left the Island, I just took that bell you're going to make me cry. That, I took the bell, and I still have this bell. Yeah. At home, I took the bell. And the only other thing I took was a copy of a children's book that I still have today and read to my own children mm-hmm. called Mr. Pine's Purple House. Yeah. And I still have this old book. Um, but I think that bell represented so much. It was my day-to-day, every morning, that's how I woke up my father to come and, you know, have breakfast and come. It was this little bell. And I knew I could take that that piece with me. Um, but it's interesting, when we went back to the island, when my grandmother passed away, and uh, she'd been cremated, and my father knew that he wanted to scatter her ashes on this island that she loved so much, and we all went, and members of the family were there, and my cousin, uh, Oliver, so he's a, a first cousin, um, came, and we're sort of looking. None of us had been to the island for many, many years and I don't know if you remember this, uh, he put his hand under the original cottage and pulled out a toy boat that he had made. And it was still there. He remembered hiding it underneath mm. the cottage. And sure enough, how many years later would that have been? Well, a long time. 25 yeah, and years And nobody had later, noticed it. They had no reason to. The toy boat was, yeah. was still yeah. there. So there, there's something to be said for um, that sort of continuity and things, you know, not 
changing. And it's funny how it's often, as Lisa saying, a small little thing that's of no sort of real monetary value. That's not what it's about. And it represents, uh, it represents something. Now, people ask me if I took anything. And I didn't, and I haven't missed it. I just didn't think of it. It's not I didn't think of it. I mean, it, it just, uh, if I went back, it, would, it just wasn't something that I was going to do um, in the same way. But everybody does it differently. It doesn't mean it have memories. Well, that's not 100% correct, because if you look to your right and you look at this shelf, some of those, what's what's the name of those plastic dishes? There's a name, Melmac, uh, Melmac or something? Melmac, Melmac dishes yes, from, the 50s. from the 50s are from the original cottage, and he took those and brought those back up. And this um, china. But that was never at the cottage, the china stuff. No, this is, but From still grandparents. his grandparents' old china, so we still have these pieces. Then so I figured this was their new rightful. There are, there are things like that, yes. Was, was yeah, and when they, the, owners were, the current owners were very nice and allowed us to come and, and just, just scatter her ashes. That's, yeah, that's lovely yeah. That, that you were able to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they, they were and are, you know, very nice. And, and, and buried her wedding ring. Her wedding yes, ring is buried, buried yeah. on the island as well. Yep. And, and I wasn't aware as a kid, because our island was sort of over in the other, so not that far. I wasn't to, aware. That, show me on the map where oh, yeah, there, I, went, I wasn't aware there was an Isabel Island. I mean, it wasn't, a, oh, I know Isabel Island. I wasn't aware that, you know, there's lots of islands. They all have names. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't aware that there was one until, until they showed me the, uh, this PowerPoint presentation of the place. Well, there's so many islands here, you know, Georgia yeah, Bay, 30,000. Right. Yeah, yeah. And especially out in the outer, like we're very close to open water where we are here. Yeah. There's like even more because the islands are smaller and smaller yeah, out that's here. Right. So you just, yeah. you could just never know, you know? And is it spelt the same way or is it a different spelling? Well, they let? Yeah. No, sorry, no, Isabel. Isabel. Oh, Isabel, exactly the same way. I S A B E L. Yeah, because oh the other spelling God. is O-B-E-L or L-L-E. L-L-E, yeah. She's I-S-A-B-E-L. That's right. Wow. Two years in uh, 61 and 62 when I was in high school, um, I worked both summers as a gas boy, if you want, at the, uh, which was then Welsh Brothers Marine Service, which was a big, it's in the same place as, as the marina is there now, but um, LeBlanc, but it, it was, they were a much bigger operation because they built boats, they built cottages, and I mean, they always had a monopoly on everything. And uh, it was a big operation, and they did a lot of business. So uh, I, two summers I worked there um, as, as gas boy, and also we worked part-time in the store, which was around the corner at the time. Uh, so that was great. I could just I just stayed at the cottage, and I had my own boat, which I got when I was 13, 14-foot boat with a 10-horsepower engine, and just drove back and forth to work. So it was a great place, summer job for two years. Yeah, that's amazing. I um, also had that similar experience because I worked at Craigamore's. Mm. which is no longer uh, running. But I worked there every summer, I think, from age 14 or 13 to, like, 18, 19. So I'd spend all our summers, all my summers up here boating back and forth. And it was, I like, I miss doing that. Like, I miss being up here for the whole summer and being on the water every day. And I miss the customers. And everyone was so happy to be up here because everyone loves their cottage, loves being here. And it was just such a special time. When we were, uh, uh, there were two dock boys, we did different shifts. One of, we sometimes regarded ourselves as boat catchers because we would, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, our main job sometimes was somebody's coming in was to make sure they didn't crash into the next boat because it was pretty crowded at times. And we would often, um, we're helping land somebody who's, who's maybe not as expert at landing as they would like to be or thought they were. And it was, I would sometimes notice that uh, when somebody came in and didn't land as well as they could have, we saved them. The, uh, it was invariably a man driving. 
who blamed everybody else on the boat. Oh, you didn't use the rope, or you there was the there could have been two, a wife, two kids, three visitors, and who knows what else. Mm-hmm. And if they had done all the right things, he would have landed perfectly. Right. He's a bit embarrassed that we had to catch him, you know. Right. But we weren't going to have him whack into the next boat, so of that's course. just the way it was. But it was nearly always that was the case. And the man was, oh, I can do this. I'm a man. I just drive it. You know? Yeah. What do you mean? There's wind. There's this. There's that. There's you. You taken the pole and done whatever. Yeah, that still happens. <laughs> yes, I think it probably does. I realized, and this is part of my philosophy of aging, if you want. Okay. Um, I realized that I fully accept, without any regret, the fact that I can't do today everything I used to do when I was 20. Yeah. Or whatever age you want to pick. And there's nothing wrong with that. That isn't a problem. It's not a life. It's not something to, to regret. So it's 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 different. So I'm different than I was then, rather than not as you know worse, if you want. So there are things that I, as a kid, would jump from rock to rock. I don't jump from rock to rock. I think I even jump from rock to rock. As a kid, I could go zipping around the island because if you slipped, you'd catch yourself, right? I don't need to jump from rock to rock. And there yeah. there are people, um, there are people here in the last two years who've had the odd accident here and there, nothing really, really major, but they were perhaps um, not using the same care that uh, that I would. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, as you get older, um, if you fall down, it takes you much longer to recover. Yeah. So that's a younger person could do that and they're a bit sore and they get up and they walk away, you know. So I'm, I'm careful with that. So it, going around on the island, I'm just careful and I haven't had a slip or anything. And that's not just luck. It's I'm careful and I'm just, I watch things, you know, I'm just careful. And, and yeah. And, that's all you have to do, I think. Plus, I stay in pretty good shape and all that sort of thing, which is also helpful. So that means what that means is that I can extend the number of years that I'm able to come here without just have to be carried up and put in a chair, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, um, <laughs> which we will do when it that's gets right. to that point. Yeah. So yeah. that's but that's important to me. Yes. That's important to me. And it, but the, the really the key is that you don't regret. You know, back in the day, there's a couple of things about, I'm digressing, I know, but back in the day, everybody says back in the day, and the longer it goes on, back in the day gets nicer and nicer, (laughs) rosier and rosier. And sometimes it's a great exaggeration where you forget that back in the day, you might not have had this, but you also had polio. I mean, you did, but it was around. So, you know, it wasn't, everything wasn't terrific, but people look at it that that way. And I don't look at it that way. I don't see, darn, I wish we were back in the whatever. I don't have that at all. So I don't regret because um, what's the point of regretting your age? Yeah, and you're just enjoying what you have now. What are some of the biggest differences you see in the cottage community versus maybe when you were a kid? Oh, those, um, what do they call them? Jet skis. You got it. Jet you skis, ski doos, hate them with a passion. Yeah. Um, I can see why. Well, yeah. here's the thing. And I know some people who have them and they use them as their boat, and that's fine. Yeah. But when I see four of them in a row when they go in the... I mean, they come in packs. Nobody does that. Nobody in a boat goes in packs and does and does a, a you know a loop-loop go going across the harbor or going across the bay. That's not what they're for, you know. So those things annoy me. And you're going down the channel to Paris Sound and they, somebody will pass you about six feet away, I'll swear. Know. You know. And it's a jet ski. And, you know, so th- those I don't like. Um, the other thing I notice, I guess, over the years, well, people have bigger and faster boats. Yeah. You know, I mean, back when a 2530 was, wow, that was the biggest. I, as a kid, I can remember, Evan Root brings out a new motor. It's a 40. I was looking like, at wow, He's oh got a 40. Gosh. And now you put them on little boats, you know. Yeah. And that's just progress. And that's the way those things go. Yeah. There are people who can work from their cottage and get on, as, as Lisa and Matt can do, 
uh, which you couldn't have done before. That's a huge differentiator. That's a big, big difference. Yes. Yeah. Not just the phones, because the phones came in. And when I was a kid, some people had phones. Depends where you were. Our, our island was more remote. But the fact that you can do that makes a, makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And it enables people at a younger age, before they retired, to be able to come up here for longer periods of time. For sure. Yeah. And that's, gonna, that's a big difference in a lot of people's lives. And uh, it's also a safety thing. If you had to call people and you can get a hold of people faster if there was some kind of emergency or something. Yeah, for you sure. Know, so that that's a, I mean, the fact that you can carry a phone with you or on the boat, you know, or have a GPS, all these sorts of things are safety things mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's not a, those, that's an improvement that's, you know, worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And do you feel like, you know, since you've been, Lisa, you've been here, you've been making connections with your neighbors and do you feel like there's... A, like a good community of people here so far or I, I think there is I think the first neighbor I met actually kayaked over to our dock to introduce herself which was wonderful and literally just today my husband and I were out kayaking and did the exact same we saw some people sitting out on their deck and yeah. went over to say hello so little by little we're starting to you know get to know new people Okay, just to pop in here again, in this next portion of the episode, we're going to be speaking about Isabel Island, which is the property that Lisa and Matt have just purchased. And it's the property that all of the photos on the blog portion are of. And this is the property that Lisa and Matt surprised Julian with when they purchased the property over the famous Zoom call when he really didn't know that he would be spending more time on Georgian Bay. After 35 years of not being on the bay, he finally is able to reconnect and live out his Georgian Bay dreams with his daughter and son-in-law. I mean, I I just remember coming up to the island for as long as I can remember. Um, It was always a very special place. I, I feel like I was up for longer than I think looking back now I actually was because we had to go by what time my father had for vacation and, and things like that. But I certainly cherished every moment that I was there. Um, and I would frequently bring up uh, a girlfriend. You know, I'm an only child. So sometimes I'd have a friend come up. And I remember my grandmother had an expression, um, you were a Georgian Bay girl or you were not a Georgian Bay girl. And I had one friend in particular who came up, I think, three or four years. Her name was Michelle. Um, I'm still in touch with her now via Facebook. She lives out West, but she was deemed definitely a Georgian, a Georgian Bay girl. And I think what my grandmother meant by that was she, she appreciated everything the Bay had to offer. <coughs> she loved exploring the Island with me. She loved, uh, swimming and canoeing and we'd go fishing. She loved making toy boats. And I do remember in high school, I brought uh, a new friend up and she was far more interested in uh, sun tanning. Oh, yes. Okay. And uh, my grandmother deemed that she was not, not a Georgian Bay girl. So that was the last time that she was in, invited up. But, yeah. um, you know, there's that expression, you can never go home again. And I think to a certain extent, there is some truth to that. Uh, I do remember coming back up in my um, sort of mid to late 20s and visiting the local marina and was horrified to discover that they rented videos. <laughs> so this was back in the in the era of the the, the VCRs, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What are you doing? Who is renting videos and watching videos? Why up do we here? Do that? Why why would you do that?" Yeah. Um, in fact, when we my husband and I purchased uh, Isabel Island last year, um, there were three television sets in three different buildings, and the first thing I did was rip them all out, and I ripped down the um, the satellite for the cable. I said, "No, we're not." We're not watching television. We're not watching movies. Yeah. 
I mean, my children, of course, because the, the time we're living, they do have phones, so they can do that a little bit. But I said, no, we're going to be together as a family. And at night, we play board games. We play cards. That's what we do together. Yeah. Um, and um, that was certainly something that was, you know, very important. I, I think when you first come to Georgian Bay, your first experience, whether it's as a child or later in, in life, but that first experience really imprints on you. And that's what you you, you look to sort of recreate going forward. Um, you know, quick, funny story. My, my husband was at an event not long ago and he was talking about our cottage and, uh, the, the people were looking and, and we live in Michigan now. And so they're saying, Oh gee, like, why is it so far away? There's beautiful places in Michigan. Why is the cottage so far away? <coughs> and then, um, he also showed, uh, a picture of me in a canoe and I was fortunate to find a, uh, a gentleman that was selling his canoe and it's a forest green canvas covered cedar strip canoe that I just love. And my husband talked about this and he said, essentially all we're doing is recreating all the best parts of my wife's childhood. This is a project that we're on right now. And by the way, it's a pretty awesome project. Yeah. Um, so it was very important to me when we looked for a property to find something that sort of fit that earlier aesthetic. Um, you know, you're looking around this cottage now, there's no drywall. It's very much an old cottage. And that's what I was looking for. I didn't want a house that could have been anywhere. I wanted a cottage. Um, and, and yes, my father's mentioned that our cottage did not have electricity. We didn't have a telephone. It was a different time. There was a certain sort of romanticism about, you know, picturing being in a cottage that it's like that. Um, the reality is my husband and I could not be here as often as we are if we didn't have Wi-Fi and, you know, some of the modern conveniences. So I'm very glad that we do have those, but it still kind of has the feeling of an older traditional Georgian Bay cottage. Um, one of the design features that I particularly fell in love with was the windows. They're the windows that open up and latch on on the ceiling um, which I've never seen except in much older Georgian Bay cottages. So I love that that design feature was here. Um, and we're, yeah, we're right now we're speaking in the, I would say this is your dining room. Yes, right? this is the dining room. And area. that's where we're looking at these windows that flip up. So they're, you know, on either side, you get this beautiful cross breeze through. Exactly. No, no need for air conditioning or anything like that. You just get the beautiful breeze. Um, and we have wonderful Western views out to the open and then beautiful island views further to the east. So it's, yeah. it was just, it was perfect for us. The main cottage, uh, sort of consists of the original building that was first built. So we're sitting in the sort of old dining room area. There's a very old fireplace, um, which of course is no longer up to code as my insurance agent reminds me. So there will be no fires in there <laughs> right now. Um, and then there was a small kitchen that was attached and a very small living space. Um, subsequently that was built onto, but again, the people that did that renovation kept very much in keeping with the design and the style of the original cottage. So it's still very, um, open and just, you know, pine walls. Um, and there is a second story. So there's a large loft bedroom upstairs where my husband and I currently reside. Um, and so that we can be here, we do have a desk set up there with computers and a little printer, but we just look out. Oh, through this open window and we can see the bay while we're working. So I, I'm not sure it can get better than that. No. And then in addition on the island, um, there is another cabin that we call the kids' cabin. It does have a bathroom in it, but it's got a lovely screened-in porch area. We've got some bunk beds and some other uh, beds in there. So it's a great place for the kids to have their own space at the southern end of the island. 
And then I believe it was about seven years ago, um, the owners at the time built uh, obviously a relatively new cabin. Um, it's the one that we call the grandparents cabin because it's where uh, my father and his wife spend most of their time. And if my in-laws come and visit, we certainly felt that um, if you are of that generation, you deserve to have the most comfortable quarters uh, on the island. So it's the newest building, but again, it was very much built in keeping with with the style of the other building. So um, it still looks like an older building, even though it's it's newer. It has a fantastic front porch with Western views, and it has um, a little sitting area and its own washroom and washer and dryer. So it's very self sufficient. We've got a little mini fridge in there and a coffee maker. So um, you really wouldn't have to leave if you didn't want to. It's, it's you know, practically self-contained. Really selling the property right I know, now. I know. <laughs> and, and then there was a, a little building that was originally a storage shed, and it had all sorts of things, about 90% of which my uh, father and his wife took to the transfer station that mm-hmm. were no longer needed on this island. Um, but we've turned it into a bunkie. So we've added windows and a sliding door and electricity. Um, so it's just a great little cabin for, you know, one or two other people to, to stay. Cottages themselves, it depends how you're looking at them. They sort of seem either to be a gray or a bit of a bluish gray, but the roofs are definitely this blue color. Mm-hmm. Now it's not, you know, some kind of odd fluorescent blue that isn't found in That's nature. <laughs> um, still, it's a little bit different. Um, but it's, it's funny because people that I've come across, that aren't necessarily familiar with the island, all of a sudden they're like, oh yes, that's the one with the blue. So they seem to sort of recognize it uh, for the for the blue color that's there. Yeah, like some cottages have other distinct factors, you know, maybe with the siding or the flagpole or mm-hmm. whatever, but these are really beautiful roofs. Yeah. And I've never quite seen them this color. And are mm-hmm. they, how new would those be? These roofs, like I'm not entirely sure how new the roofs are. All I can tell you is they don't leak, so they, they, look can't, fantastic. they can't be that old. They can't they be that look old. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. The other feature of the island that, to be honest, um, when we first saw the island, I didn't love as much are the paths. So there's some wooden paths okay. that connect the different buildings. Oh, and I'm very much someone who the island was more important to me than than the cottage itself. I love I love the rock. Um, there's just something about the rocks of Georgian Bay that I just really have always connected with. And so the fact that there were these covered paths, I thought, no, no, we don't, we don't need paths. We, we're, we're walking in our bare feet over On these the rocks. rocks. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to my father's point earlier, you know, I'm 52 now. I'm only going to be getting older. There are going to be times that I'm going to appreciate a flatter path yeah. from one building to the next. And certainly we want it to be comfortable for not only my father and his wife or my mother who might choose to visit or my husband's parents. And now I've come to really appreciate that. Of course, it doesn't cover the entire island, but it's it's nice to have these sort of flatter wooden paths yes. connecting the buildings. Yes. I always laugh when people come to visit and they show up with this gigantic suitcase and I'm looking at them thinking, you need a bathing suit, two pairs of shorts, two right, t-shirts yeah. and a hoodie. That's all you need while you're up here. You don't need all of this, know. you know. Leave your fancy makeup and I know, high heel like, shoes yeah. behind. You don't need any of that stuff. Here. Yeah, it's very and yeah. I I've worked in Muskoka. I've worked in other areas, and I just like don't understand cottaging in other areas because for me, cottaging is exactly what you're describing. Yeah, it's it, this. It's Georgian Bay is just different, and there are other areas. Muskoka is absolutely beautiful, and yeah. I can admire that. And I see cottages and the iconic boathouses, and it's beautiful. beautiful. But there are just definitely Georgian Bay people and Muskoka people. Very different. Very, very, very different. Very different yeah. And part of what I think we love and I think what my 
my father, he mentioned that he's sort of the unofficial caretaker of the island, is kind of puttering around and seeing well, what needs to be fixed, what needs to be repaired, what Being can resourceful. we do here exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look underneath all of the cottages, you know, in terms of being more, um, you know, environmentally minded, you're going to find other pieces of wood, other pieces of pipe that you, you sort of keep because you know one day you're going to find a use for it and you're going to be able to recycle it and use it again instead of just always getting all new, you know, materials. But that is not something that everyone wants to sign up for. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And it, it also comes with being on an island. Like, do you really want to go whatever 30 minutes back into town to just pick up something if you can be resourceful and use something here? I actually ran into someone um, in Perry Sound. I went to one of the local restaurants and was speaking to the waiter and he was asking me where my cottage was. And I said, San Susi. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm out there um, a fair amount. And I said, oh, what do you do there? And he said, landscaping. And I had no idea what he was talking about. It's like, like, what do you mean? What do you mean landscaping? I mean, I know. nature is nature. It, it landscapes itself. Um, Builds walkways or something. Uh, perhaps. Or perhaps that's what he yeah. meant. But I just thought <coughs> it was a, kind of an interesting... It's kind of an oxymoron a little bit because you're like, yeah. what needs to be landscaped? You know, like we're not trying to manicure the islands no, here, no. right? So I can understand maybe building paths and like having lightning yeah, if you need that type of thing. But yeah, I think also for the biosphere, just like leaving as much yeah. nature like left in place as possible is important. Um, and you know, every, every year is different up here as, as people who have cottages know. Um, and we've been trying to educate ourselves because to be honest, even when I was a child and certainly when my father was a child, we weren't as a community as knowledgeable about what you should and should not do. Oh. So the cottage on Lillette did not have a shower or a bathtub because there was the lake. Mm. And so we all went with our bars of ivory soap because ivory soap floats. And so we would bring our shampoo and we would do everything in the lake without thinking what that was doing yeah. to the environment. At the but time. again, you didn't know. We didn't know. It was, it was a different time. Um, yeah. And now we're far more mindful. Um, uh, fortunately to the, the archipelago, we've recently got a food cycler. So we're taking all of our organic like, yes. um, oh, I'll have to see goods. That. Um, it's pretty amazing. I'm, yeah. I'm going to bring that home with me over the winter. Yes. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Cause I mean, again, like we were saying before in our previous conversation, it's like, you can't change history. You can't change like what you did in the past, but we can all learn to be better. And, and in terms of sustainability, we can all like understand, Oh, we didn't realize that something we were doing was really, really detrimental. But now yeah. we, we are aware of these things and we can just be better and moving forward. So well, I, when, when I was a kid growing up at Lillet, with garbage, for instance, we would yes. uh, kitchen garbage, stuff like that paper, we would burn it. Yep. And then cans, we would we would take the top, we'd flatten them, squash them. We would drive out into the open, as we said, out with deep, deep, deep water and just pitch them over the sides yeah. with bottles of cans. Yeah. Now, the alternative, some people had a dump on their, on their island. We weren't yeah. about to do that because it never goes away and it, you don't want to do that. So there was nowhere else to take it. There was no municipal place other than take it all the way to Perry Sound. Even mm-hmm. then, it there was, was no transfer station. No, there wasn't anything like yeah. that. And then before the transfer stations, before we sold the place in the 80s, they had uh, in various locations, including the ones they use now. It wasn't a transfer station; it was a dump. Mm. You just took everything you had, threw it in a great big thing, and they, it was big, basic landfill. Yeah, and everything all went in the same place. Well, nobody does that anymore. It was great for seeing bears. Yeah, you yeah. see <laughs> bears and everything, and you didn't have to separate it. I think it all went in the same hole. Right. 
there was but, no recycling. But that was a different, and now I was over there this morning. Now it's uh, totally different. You divide things up, and they're dumpsters, and they take them out periodically, and uh, you don't throw things in the water. And, oh, uh, yeah. So we have a dump on this island. Do you? Yes. We uh, well, found it. Or you've discovered it. Well, yes, yeah, we don't use it as dumps, certainly. But you've discovered it. But we saw a few things, and I thought, oh, there's a few things laying around. I'll go with one bucket and, you know, some gloves and pick things. And as we started digging yeah. we, and looking further, we realized that they were using this as a site where they were um, burning everything. Yeah. So we have um, slowly, we're trying to collect these items and take them to the real transfer station now. Did you find anything interesting? Well, I mean, just kind of interesting bottles. We sort of look at the the product, you know, such and such sardines or such and such motor oil or I can't imagine someone was burning cans of motor oil, but apparently. Yeah. Um, So little by little, we're trying to sort of collect some of these items to, to, you know, clean it up. So the original building, of course, is the original wood. So you can see the, you know, two by fours and, and the planks. And I think it's a credit to how we used to build cottages, you know, back in the day that it's still so sturdy and yeah. and here after so many years. Um, and so there's, there's, there's this openness. As I said, there's no, there's no drywall. There's nothing on, there's no popcorn stucco on the ceilings. Um, just, you know, very sort of open. And this main cottage essentially has a very large, uh, dining room area, but yes, it's a dining room, but it's where we sit and play cards and play board games as well. And of course we've got the views on both sides, um, of, of the water in the bay. So that's kind of nice to look out the windows and, um, you know, kind of a nice little galley style kitchen that has, um, everything that we could, that could, we, that we could. Everything. That we need everything yeah. that we need. Sorry, um, and then just a really nice living room that has windows on three sides. So again, that's what we love so much is that we pretty much have a three hundred and sixty view on this island of, mm-hmm. of of the bay and islands. I think that's unusual because there are a lot a- of cottages, very few that can that have a three hundred and sixty degree view from one spot. Yeah, that's actually so funny. I didn't even realize, but. At least where I'm sitting, I can see water through three windows. Well, and, yeah. and uh, yeah, like you said, it's like the open rafters, the joists above from the floor. It's like all the natural wood, the pine flooring, the open studs, the flip up windows. It's like you've got one wall that has that's painted white, but otherwise it's all natural. Yes. Natural wood. Which and in fact, in the pictures, when we saw the place, it was not painted white. And when I saw that it was painted white, I had a little bit upset? of, why did you do that? Yeah. Um, I, I don't dislike it. Yeah. I think it looks fine. But yes, I'm, I'm generally more interested in just the natural wood and, yeah. and even weathered natural wood. It's funny. We had some uh, friends visiting us this summer and they said, oh, when we come up next year, we'll help you strip and restain the decks. And I said, why? Why? What's wrong with the decks? They seem perfectly fine to me, but they're they're weathered wood. You know the way wood has that grayish tone to it when it gets kind of weathered. And yeah. I was like, but but I like that. That's that's what I want. I don't mm-hmm. I don't want things to look overly perfect. new and manicured and perfect. Yeah. Uh, to me, it sort of blends into the environment a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Now, once we get to the stage that a foot is falling through the deck, then yes, that's we'll, we'll replace a board. But again, yeah. we will find that board underneath the cottage somewhere yeah, to, to fix it. One thing I want to make sure to include mm-hmm. is, you know, my, my father mentioned that he's here after a 35-year gap because of me and my husband. This is largely due to my husband. So when I met him when I was in my 20s, I thought, you know, here's someone that I really think I could marry. I'm really serious about this guy. 
the one thing I wasn't sure about yet was if he would love Georgian Bay. And that was a big box to check for me. So literally the very first summer that we met, I, and he was in Michigan. I was in Toronto at the time. Um, I brought him up to Perry Sound. We rented a little tinny with maybe a 10 or 20 horsepower on it. And we went camping on Pomeroy Island. And this was the first time I had been back up to this part of Georgian Bay since I was 16. I remember being shocked that I remembered the route like it was yesterday. I had no, I had no issue. Got us straight mm-hmm. to Pomeroy. Mm-hmm. We camped on the island. And of course, he fell in love with this region. And that was like the last box I needed to check because I <laughs> thought, if he doesn't love it up here, because I didn't know how I was going to get back up here. I just knew I was going to get back up here. I was, you know, when Lillette was sold, I was 16 years old. And I was just this little stubborn thing saying, this will happen. And I realized how unrealistic that seemed at the time. Because let's be honest, it, it takes a certain financial commitment to be able to be up here. And mm-hmm. I consider myself extremely fortunate that yes. I was able to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that might not have been the case. But my husband and I, you know, we've got four beautiful children and we've always both worked hard and supported each other. Um, and he's done extremely well in his career. I operate a business, but it's it's been a partnership and it's been this dream that I've been able to share with him for 20 years. And so when it was made possible... I used to think, thank you so much for making this real for me until I realized this was as much a dream for him since I introduced it to him in our 20s, you know, as it is for me. So I think that is important as well. It doesn't work to be up here if you don't have everyone that loves it because it is a commitment and there's always something that needs to be fixed, always something that needs to be repaired. It's not easy. You don't just drive up and get out of your car. Um, For us from Michigan, it's a seven hour drive, then a boat ride. So it's kind of an all day commitment to get up here. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't have someone that loved it as much as you do, I really don't think it would work. So the fact that, um, I chose well and, (laughs) and Matthew fell equally in love with it. Um, we're both just sit here and we just, you know, pinch ourselves like how did, how did we make this happen yeah. this is just incredible well, you manifested it from age 16 that's right yeah. that's right it was going to happen one way or another it just yeah. took 36 years to to get there but it happened it did look at you now it did and yeah. i just want to circle back to one thing sure um i don't remember if it was you or or my father that was mentioning talking about sort of feeling at home here um but the powerpoint presentation that i put together when we surprised my dad and let him know that we bought the very last last slide just said, "Welcome home." Oh my god, that's so wonderful! Because I knew it was home for him, and it's home, and for it was too. home for me. Thank you so, so much for listening to this week's episode. I so appreciate every single listener that tunes in, every single reader that reads the blog, rewinddesign.ca. The best thing you can do for me to support me in this journey is to either follow along on Spotify, Apple Music, or whichever platform you listen to, click that follow button. The second best thing you can do is share this podcast to your friends and family. If anyone you know might be interested, just forward this along to them and tell them to take a take a listen or take a peek at my website. And if you're interested in supporting me further, I also have a Patreon account where you can donate $5 a month to the podcast and a portion of 
of that will also go to the Georgian Bay Land Trust, and that is patreon.com slash rewinddesign. No pressure to do any of that. I am just so happy if you're listening to this and if you love cottage country and Georgian Bay and Muskoka as much as I do. So thank you again so much and stay tuned for another episode. She's, I don't know if she's up on the countertop. Oh, uh, got <laughs> oh. So, so Maisie, my golden retriever, just ate a tuna melt sandwich that I made for everybody. <laughs> you are a bad girl. <laughs> I didn't, you I, are a bad girl. I wasn't quite sure it was up on that countertop or else I would have. Um, okay, well, she's had her meal. <laughs> she's not being fed tonight. She's Maisie. not being fed tonight. I hope you enjoyed that tuna melt. She, she did take a few bites, so she I really made, savored a little bit. I made that special for you. 